Well, good morning and welcome to Grace Church online where we are celebrating Easter together. Happy Easter. I know it may not feel the same. I'm sure you're still wearing your Sunday best. I better see some bonnets or something posted on Facebook. I don't know why I said that. Uh, but uh, hey, by the way, while I'm mentioning that, you can talk on social media. You can chat with each other in our live chat this morning. Uh, and let's celebrate Easter together. Go invite somebody right now, in fact, and say, hey, come to Easter, come to my church. It's just at a, at a website now instead of a building. So uh, the church was never about the building, was it? And now we get to see that played out. So happy Easter. Welcome to Easter. Uh, and uh, I'm going to open up the right notes. Uh, this is all different for us, isn't it? We're all living in these kind of strange times. And to, to speak to that just a little bit, at the end of this message, we are going to take communion together. The Lord's Supper maybe is how you may know it. You may say, how in the world am I going to do that? I don't have any wine or grape juice. I definitely don't have any boring bread. I've only got some, some sliced you know, whole grain or whatever. Look, go get something. You can, this morning I give you total permission to use a donut and coffee if you want. Maybe this is the first time that, that donuts and coffee are used in communion. But, but you know what? For such a time as this, get out there, go get a couple things together while I'm preaching, uh, and uh, you'll be ready at the very end for communion. But this morning, we are going to celebrate Easter. We are going to continue this series in Galatians, where we're going to talk about how new creations are new. Uh, again, if, you, if you'd like to get caught up in the series, you can do so by going online. But this morning, we're at a part in the, in, in, the, in the passage here where Paul is talking about this freedom that we have in Christ. He's, he's talking about how this life as a believer, this life as a Christian, uh, looks so free. Is that how you would describe most Christians you know? They look the most free? Well, that is who we are. We are the most. We are, it is for freedom, in fact, that Christ set us free. But how you read Scripture, how you uh, look at things uh, in, in the Bible will come down to two different lenses, and one of those lenses will bring life to you, and one of those will bring, oh man, all kinds of bad stuff to you. One of those lenses is to look through Scripture and find you in it, okay? Now, in some ways it's good, but in other ways there's stories all throughout that aren't that great. If you look through the lens of you, right, you can see a lot of failure. You can see a lot of unfaithfulness. You can see a lot of, hey, if you don't do this, then you're going to get that kind of stuff. And uh, you can see Scripture through another way. You can see it through the lens of Jesus. Even the book of Revelation doesn't sound as scary when you realize it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's, it's Jesus. It's all about him. Everything is about him. Now, this, this thing right here, I, I like to pull this out every once in a while. It's a fun demonstration of, I believe, uh, how we need to repent or to change the way we think, to change how we think and what we think, um, to repent. That's what that word means. This is uh, something I want to tell you what it is at the very end. Right now you can type in the chat. You can try to uh, state what you think it is. Okay, You can take some guesses. And maybe some of you know what it is. Don't you go Googling on me since everybody's at home right now. But, but uh, take a guess Okay, what you think this might be. It's got a flat bottom on it. you know. So you might think, hey, this is the way it should go. If I gave this to my kids, I would expect they would play with it as some kind of jewel or some kind of uh, gemstone. And in fact, that sounds an awful lot uh, awful lot like something Jesus once said. So let's, let's turn our attention to the scripture in Matthew chapter 13. He says this, the kingdom of heaven, now this is Jesus explaining the kingdom to us, something that's inexplainable in so many ways. He uses stories to try to capture it. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again, and over, and, and over from joy over it. He goes and he sells all that he has, and he buys the field. 
Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls, and upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. How is this story usually told to you? How do you usually read this story? If you read with the lens of me, of, of this is about me, and, and, and it is, but if you read from the wrong angle of it's something that I need to do, then you're going to read a story about you need to go find the kingdom of heaven. And if you find it, it's like a treasure that you will sell out for. You'll give all your life away for it. You'll, you'll trade everything for the gospel. And if what are you holding back from the Lord and all that kind of stuff? And look, it all comes from reading this in an incorrect way. Jesus is not talking about who inhabits the kingdom of heaven. He's not talking about you at all. And you put yourself right on in the story. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven that he represents. And so we'll look at this story again in just a moment. But this story is not about what we commonly think. And how we look at Scripture is so often from what makes sense to us. We say things like, Jesus said, and we quote something from the Old Covenant, or under the Old Covenant. We quote, we quote it from the New Testament, but under the Old Covenant. Anything before the cross was under the Old. And so we'll say, Jesus said it. It makes sense. And yet, Jesus came to turn everything upside down. Jesus came to show us how life really is. So this story is not about you finding the kingdom of God and selling out for it, or selling all that you have for it, or giving all of your life to Jesus. You don't have any life to give Jesus. He had to come and give you life. This story was actually about him finding you and you being worth everything to him. He was willing to sell it all. You know, before anything ever was, before you and I ever got so smart, he was sitting out there and he was thinking about you. And he said, man, even just to have you would be a treasure. Oh, but he didn't just see just you. He saw all of us as his treasure. And according to this, he goes and he buys the whole, he, he gave everything for God so loved the world that he gave the most priceless thing he had, his only son. He only had one. He was himself. Right? God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Jesus was never alone. He was never alone. The Father was always with him, and he gave up everything for you. So Paul says, look, this is an entirely new kingdom. This is an entirely new way of life, Jesus would say. And Paul's going to tag into that in his talk with the Galatians. He's going to say, listen, life doesn't exist the way you think it does anymore. Trying to go back to the old covenant, trying to add back in the Mosaic law, trying to believe that there's something unfinished is to see things in a way that looks like it makes sense, but it's not right. Right? Easter, we're celebrating resurrected life today, not the old life. No, a new life, something that the world had never seen before Jesus came out of that grave. And you and I now celebrate it every single day with every breath we take. Easter's just one day a year. No way. Easter's every day. We celebrate the resurrected life of Jesus Christ because we are alive, and it is his life in us. So this new kingdom operates totally different. Paul would say it this way as we continue in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. He says, listen, if you will walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Okay. If you walk by the Spirit, so rather than focusing in on sin in the flesh, which is what most Christians uh, tend to want to do, is to say, oh, I see a sin, and now I'm going to... Well, instead of that, if you will walk by the Spirit, if you will just listen to God, live in this lane or operate in this way that is all new, it's totally dependent on what Jesus has finished. Okay, so start there, and you'll find the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, 
and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. That's important. Paul, before he even says this next part, he's wanting to draw their attention to their heart. He's saying, look, don't you see that your heart's already changed? That you're doing things that you don't, don't please, you're not wanting to do. It's sin in your flesh. It's, it's what Jesus took upon the cross for you. He saw that that was going to be a struggle for you. He took it away, John the Baptist said. Behold the lamb. He takes away the sins of the world. Jesus was the scapegoat that, that, that took the sins as far as the east is from the west. So, so what we're talking about here is he's saying, look, you recognize because you are of spirit now. You recognize the flesh. I mean, it is the exact opposite of everything that you really want and desire in Christ. So he says this, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So he's saying, don't be fooled into thinking that, oh, now that I am spiritual, now I can keep the law. No, he's saying that's not the way this works. That's not freedom. Freedom means being truly free. That means being free from everything that's earthy or earthly. And that includes covenants that were based on earthly effort. You know, the Hebrew says that that is all going away, that, that there is now, you know, the funny thing is you can't even keep the law, by the way. The, the, the priesthood was gone. The, the, the temple was destroyed. There's parts of it you can't even keep anyway. And if you're going to live that way, you know, Scripture says you've got to keep all of it. You can't just keep one of it. So God even removed the ability away from being able to keep the law and to be obsessed with the law or to think that God needs you to do anything with the law as a believer. Now you have his new life living in you. You are pleasing with, to God because of, uh, your, <laughs> I'm reading notes and trying to talk at the same time. This is all new. Uh, you are pleasing to God because of who you are. You're pleasing to God because you have his life in you and you're a child of his. All right, somebody might say, I put in my notes, somebody might say, yes, but Javen, are you suggesting that without the law, without, what about 1 John 1, 9? Man, how many believers do you know that go to 1 John 1, 9 as their defense for asking God for constant forgiveness of sin. You ever wonder why there's only one verse that even gives this kind of idea at all? Like if it was such an important thing, if, if, if here on Easter Sunday it was really important for me to make sure all of us confessed all of our sins and got all that out, and yeah, you know, there's a large part of the church, a large part of the church, that's exactly what they do is they spend a lot of time in repentance of really behaviors and things like that. Well, 1 John 1, 9 has nothing to do with any of that, and yet it's this situation again where you can look at something this way because Javen, it just looks that way and it makes sense when really it's, it's upside down. It's, it's not the way it's supposed to be. 1 John 1, 9 is not to the believer. It can't be to the believer. Paul, or not Paul, John is writing uh, his church. He's writing his church because of the Gnostics and what they were teaching, and they were coming in and saying things like, you don't have anything called sin, sin's not real, you didn't need Jesus, he was a spirit that kind of laid over a person, and they believed in some really weird stuff, okay? I mean, you could look at everything, I guess, as kind of weird, but what they believe is wrong is the more important part. And instead, what you and I enjoy is that, that last part of that verse, 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of all unrighteousness. That's a cleansing that happens once. Why do I know that? Well, because you were crucified with Christ, Paul said in Galatians 2.20. So yeah, that happened. You were cleansed. How were you cleansed? By being circumcised. Well, before you think you know what that is, we're talking about the cutting away of the flesh. When you died on the cross with Jesus, you were resurrected into new life with him. Well, now you're sanctified. You are set apart. You are holy as he is because you're a spirit being, and there is no more sin issue to deal with. 
Now you're over all of that. You are free to walk spiritually, to walk by the Spirit. This is now an opportunity for faith to reveal itself through love. So let me ask you this. What do you want? What do you want? In a moment where you're upset, in a moment where somebody has done you wrong, where a moment where life wasn't fair, in a moment where, what do you want? Well, let's just take some of the easiest ones. When you're really, really upset, we all know what we want pretty quick, don't we? Our, our flesh instantly seems to get engaged, and, and we decide all kinds of things that in, our, in our thought process that if we ever said out loud, we'd probably be embarrassed to say. And yet, this is how easy it is to see uh, the spirit within us. Okay, I'm going to give you a, um, I'm going to take the same thing that Paul just said, uh, and I'm just going to put it in, in a different way to make it easy to see. Okay, so if you ever want to know what the spirit would do in any situation, in any situation you go into where you are lost in emotions or you're lost in fear or you're lost in whatever it is, and you want to know what would the spirit do? All right, well, first off, you can just talk to God. But sometimes God uses fun ways to show us things, uh, to teach us things. And this was one thing that God showed me. He said, Javen, find, find the flesh. All right, well, uh, if I'm upset, and let's say I'm going to use a real-world example, there was somebody one time who had made me so upset that, you know, that, that kind of like rage, you just kind of, I just really, mm, you know, for Jesus, of course, you know. Uh, and, and, so, and so in this moment, I found the flesh. Okay, my flesh, I told this person this. It was probably one of the strangest conversations, but it was a really cool one. And I said, hey, okay, uh, my flesh says it, it wants to punch you. Um, <laughs> uh, and I said, okay, uh, the spirit and the flesh are always at odds. They're always diametrically opposed, if you will. Okay, they're always totally on the opposite side. So if my flesh wants to punch you in the face, I said, uh, could I give you a hug? Okay, if you could have watched this person's expression as tears were rolling down their faces, they're in utter shock going, no, punching me actually would feel better because that makes sense, right? Punching me is what this world says. Yeah, the flat side, it's supposed to sit like this. So I get it. And Grace said, hold on, I can walk by the Spirit. And even in this moment where I want nothing more, <laughs> you know, no, hold on, I'm going to hug. And when I hugged this person, can I tell you, I felt shackles fall off. The weight of anger, the weight of unforgiveness, the weight of, of just being broken fell off. And I got to watch restoration take place. I got to watch as life flooded that room. I didn't regret my decision even one bit. And instead, I found life there. So if you want to know, what would the spirit, well, I can tell you, find the flesh and then just don't do that. And you'll at least be one leg up on most, okay? But that really does work. Find Find the flesh so that you can see, I'm not that. That's not me. That's why it never feels good. It's why you know if you got even with somebody, it really wouldn't satisfy you if you're a believer. It never will feel good. And, and the crazy part is, restoration or watching somebody come back to life, administering forgiveness when the person deserves anger, all of that kind of stuff, can I tell you, you will be shocked at how pleasing it all is. Like you will, you'll think it will be great, but you'll be amazed at spiritually how you just come. It's incredible. You come to life and you feel it and you go, why am I not doing this all the time? And that's maturity as you do. You begin to walk by the spirit in such a way that it ministers God, it ministers love. It reveals love to the entire world. It's faith working through love. So Paul, he ends our little sections of, section of Galatians today in Galatians 5, 24 through 26 by saying this. He goes, look, 
Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. All right, he just finished talking about a, a short list of sins, and he gives a short list of fruit. He gives a, a thing that's from the flesh, and here's what's from the Spirit. Rick and Judy did a great job at talking about this. You can go back and listen to their part uh, in the series if you want to hear more about the fruit of the Spirit. But the, both of these lists, I personally don't believe, are uh, exhaustive. They're not, they're not complete. They're just, this is some of the, the, the sins that are out there, and he lists off some of these things. These are some of the things that your flesh may entertain as ideas. But he says, and here's fruit. But look at the fruit. Look at what else comes out, what, what, what is here. And so Paul says this. He goes, look, neither one of these are exhaustive lists. It's just that, in other words, life in the Spirit looks like joy and patience and self-control and peace and all these things. And life in the flesh, it just looks like man always trying to figure things out. Uh, it looks like us striving and trying to create our own lives that we think make total sense. In the end, they're not satisfying and they're not pleasing. And honestly, as a Christian trying to fit into any of those holes, you'll find yourself going, I, none of this is actually satisfying. It's not fulfilling. Why? Because you can see what it is. And you can, you can walk instead with the fruit of life within you. You can give fruit away. That's so much more addictive. It's so much more fun to be a part of that. And on Easter Sunday of all days, we're celebrating resurrected life. And, and what's great about resurrected life is you get to go give it away. Jesus said that was his will. So Paul continues, you've been crucified. Those desires, all that stuff, the reason why you don't enjoy it anymore is because you were crucified with Christ. If we live by the Spirit, then he says, then let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Does that at all sound like Jesus? No. No, he's not insecure, and you don't need to be either. Uh, knowledge is what makes you insecure. No, love instead, he says, does this. He goes, we can walk in the same way that we live. We're alive by the Spirit, and guess what? God intended that you would walk in lockstep with him. That really means to walk in the stride or the pace of God. Imagine Adam and Eve walking with God in the garden. It was said that the, the afternoon was cool. It was a nice breezy day, I imagine. It was restful. It was enjoyable. They walked away feeling energized. They'd been walking with love himself, with life. And that is what you are doing every single day. Where is your attention? Where is your focus? Well, my focus is on the news right now. We've really got to pay attention. This virus is, did you know that the cone is spreading or whatever? The cone is spreading. I'm so used to hurricanes here in Florida. We need a cone. Like, we don't have a cone. Uh, anyway, so, you know, the virus is spreading and all this panic and all this stuff. Listen, we don't live there. Don't live there. I'm walking in step with God. Is he caught off guard by any of this? No. No, in fact, that's why he made Easter a day that's not celebrated one time a year. It's celebrated all year round. It's celebrated every single day you take a breath. So believers, maybe this time is our time to look in the mirror and finally say, wait a minute, I'm going to stop arguing over stuff. This doesn't matter. I'm going to stop uh, looking through the law at my flesh and at others. I'm going I'm to start living spiritually, spirit-based uh, life where I encourage others and come to them with humble considerations and, and ways to, to love them and uh, support them and walk with them. Maybe that's what this time is for, right? It's what Paul is saying is that we live spiritually. We're not able to be in the same room at the same time, and it doesn't even matter. We're all still connected. I can pray for you uh, through a lens of a camera, and you can be blessed. Like we're living in times where we're seeing what's always been. And that is that we're not defined by anything except the Spirit. We are walking with Him, and we live in Him. 
So how do you walk? Because you belong to God. Faith, working through love. And if you, if you are using that as an example, the idea I brought to us the other week with, the, with, with, with faith working itself through love, the meaning of life, this light bulb was lit up and we talked about how this was an example of faith working itself through love, that we can't always see electricity, right? Yeah, there's ways I'm sure you can do that, but you just can't see it with the naked eye. And, and all of a sudden you plug into the source of life and this thing comes on and everybody in the room can suddenly see what electricity can do. It's pretty cool. And it's cool that we can see this light and this love come out of our lives, even during times like these, offering prayer for somebody, offering a thing of toilet paper. I mean, who knew that toilet paper could be faith working itself through love? And yet here we are. We're living in times where people have decided in believing in so many other different things. And yet here we are as believers standing here without fear, without the sense of religiosity. Look, you, you don't have to attend the church to show how you can stave off a virus because the Lord is going to, you don't have to do any of that stuff, my brothers and sisters. No, instead we can stay home. We can, we can do this right here and show the world, say, look, watch it, what the church can do even during this time. Paul, he, uh, he, he had an experience like this, and this is kind of where I want to, I want to kind of wrap it all around. Uh, Paul, Paul had an experience here where he said this in Acts 17, verse 22. Paul stood in the midst of this place here in Athens, Areopagus, and he says, look, guys, I observe here that you are all very religious in every aspect. Look, if you live here in America, everybody's religious. You got some kind of religion guaranteed. And he goes, look, while I was passing through and I looked at all of this stuff, I ha happened to notice you got an altar that says to the unknown God. In other words, you guys have even got a spot for the guy y'all don't know. You know. We don't want to offend any other gods. You know, well, let me tell you about this God, he says. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, because you just don't have any idea what he is, let me go ahead and tell you. I'm going to proclaim him to you. The God who made the world, that's a big God, and all the things in it, in other words, all the rest of the dudes in this room, they didn't do that. He did. And he goes, he does not dwell in temples made with hands. You guys are all hanging out in this church building. Cool. This is not where God lives. He lives in here. Nor is he served by human hands. Oh, well, we're all priests, and we're all this and that, and he needs us. And I got to, you know, gosh, if we're not out there as Christians having church services during the middle of a pandemic, well, <laughs> golly, how in the world is he going to be lifted up and praised? And guys, come on. Look, uh, he doesn't serve, we, we don't serve him with human hands, right? As, though, as if he needed anything. He doesn't need anything. Since he himself gives to all people life and breath to all things. Did you catch that? Let me say this again. He, he is, uh, let's see, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people. See, God is not a taker. He's not somebody who needs anything. He's a giver, and he's a gracious giver, and that's exactly what he gives you. He says this, look, he's determined all the nations, their appointed times, boundaries. He knows what everything, he already knows what's going to happen. That they, he says this, that look, if everybody would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him. And Paul continues and says, guys, but look, he's not far. He's not some way up in the clouds somewhere. God didn't say, come on, seek and find me and I'm going to go hide. Good luck. No, no, not at all. Instead, he says this, he goes, look, God is not far from you. Now listen to this, for in him, in God, we live and move and exist as even some of your own poets have said, we are his children. So being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature 
this spirit life that we have is like gold or silver or stone or something that can be formed out of our hands and that we can make. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance. So all of you guys in here worshiping this uh, spot where there's no statue, uh, God has overlooked all of this. And he is now declaring to all men everywhere that you need to repent. You need to change the way you think. And you need to change what you think. You need to repent. We often confuse that word with some kind of idea of feeling bad and has nothing to do with feeling bad. It has everything to do with just saying, oh, let me change my ways and my thinking to the ways that God thinks. And the way that we do that is we invite him to give us his life. Right? We say, okay, I'm in. And we get the mind of Christ where now you understand the things of the Spirit and you repent. Because he fixed a day in which he will judge the world. So why do we repent? Why do we change our minds? Well, because he's fixed a day when he's going to judge the world. And how many of us will hear that and think, oh, I know it. Judgments are coming. Fire be a raining. And we'll think of all of these horrible things. Well, that's not what he's talking about. You know, judgment or judging, you know, you can win an award and the judges can rule in your favor. It can be a very good thing. And look, it is in this case, he continues by saying he fixed a day in which he's going to judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed. He's not going to judge according to the law. He's not going to judge according to sins and all these. That's all been taken care of. No, now he's going to judge purely on the righteousness of Christ. You're either in right standing with God or you aren't. You're either in life or you're dead. You're either blessed or you're cursed. It's one or the other. There's no middle lane here. You can't be oscillating in the middle with like, well, I'm a Christian, but I went out drinking last week and now I don't really know. No, you're still in the Christian lane. Now walk by the Spirit. Now be who you are. Walk by the Spirit. Don't be filled with Spirit, okay? Uh, would be a good word of advice there. So we repent. We change our mind, and he tells us how or why. Having furnished proof, here's the proof, to all men, he raises Jesus from the dead. He says, look, here's new life. Everything that came before this is not, this is all uh, self-righteous. Here is my true righteousness, and I'm going to judge the world through his righteousness that you can now be in him and be judged alive. How much more obvious does the doorway need to be? Paul says, look, all of these gods have one thing in common, and that is they're not anything. (laughs) This is the one true God, Paul would say. And he goes, look, because of this, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 17, he says, therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though that's how we knew Jesus. We don't know him that way any longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have, have come. You're a brand new creation. But Jave and I, but last yesterday, you're a brand new creation. Yeah, but five minutes ago, I just thought the worst thing about you, Javen. It's okay. You're a new creation. You're always new. You're never going to not be new. You're always going to be new. In Galatians 5.25, he says this. He goes, look, walk by the Spirit. Walk in order with the Spirit is what this means. Wake up tomorrow and decide, you know what, rather than fear, rather than, uh, you know, all of the things I could be experiencing and feeling right now or wondering, God, are you with me or do you love me? Yes, you can absolutely answer all of those questions. Find the flesh. Okay, does God love me? Now go to the other side. Yes, he does. It's always the opposite of every single one of those thoughts. We can walk in such a way that's even better than what Adam and Eve had in the garden. I love what Pastor Clark said. I heard him at a conference one time. He said, uh, 
Um, he said, we've gained more in Christ than what we lost in Adam. Boy, isn't that a wonderful thought? We often think, boy, Adam and Eve, they just had it. They were in the garden with God. They got to experience all that. And then Jesus comes along and he tells a parable that says, you know what? It's actually like somebody finding a hidden treasure in a garden. He, I'm, I, it's all about me, he says. It's all about him. Look at this, Psalm 37. The steps of a man are established by the Lord and he delights in his way. The steps of a righteous man right, are, are ordered. God has placed these, these, uh, these steps for you and me to walk in. Proverbs 16, 9. The mind of, of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. That word uh, uh, directs his steps there, it, it means the pace. God sets the pace. When you walk in the Spirit, you don't find yourselves doing things just because they're spiritual. You do things because you feel God leading you in them. And that keeps you from burning out. It keeps you from exhausting yourself, right? Because you're following and you're walking with Him and you were always new. See, the problem is, if you go and read Scripture through the lens of me, and like, it's all up to me, and i got to be the hero of the story, well, uh, you will miss out. On, on, the, on the true treasure in the story. You will, you'll make the treasure all about the things that you need to give up so that you can get it instead of seeing that Jesus gave up all that he had to get you. See, this right here is called a deck prism. Some of you have already figured that out. This is a, uh, it's something that actually used to sit not like this, but on old wooden ships. Uh, there would be a spot on the deck where many of these would be flat on the surface, but underneath the ship in an area maybe that had something explosive where you didn't want to come down there with a nice candle that, hey, if it fell, everybody on the ship is, is dying. Uh, they would put these in place instead, and a light would come, and it would shine through here, and then below the deck, they would actually have these little light bulbs basically all the way down uh, where they could, they could still see in, in the dark. And I love using this as an example. I learned this in a public relations course uh, where a teacher used this to teach us about how you can shift your thinking and see things from different angles. And I want to encourage you this morning to see yourself as new, even if, even if you don't see yourself this way. You know that this is how you truly are. And, and when you feel like you're like this, you can just say, hold on a minute, just like Paul wrote these Galatians, he's saying, no, 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 no. It is all about Jesus. And the cool part is, is that he shines the light into the whole world. We become conduits of that light. We become a, a, a pathway for that light. We become faith working through love. We are the bulb that lights up and shows the world something that was once invisible, that the creation has been made new, and you can be a part of that today by just believing and receiving the free gift of God's amazing grace. Isn't that amazing? It's incredible. Uh, so let's read this one more time, Matthew 13. And I'm going to read this, and if you want to go ahead and get your stuff ready for communion, we're going to take communion in just a second. Matthew 13. See if you can hear the story different this time. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again, and over joy he sold all that he had and he bought the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls, and upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Do you see how much you are worth to Jesus? That's how much you are worth everything he had. See, we can see scripture this way and see it from the light of what the new creation is. It's Christ's life in you. All right, I hope you have your communion stuff ready because we're going to do that now. Um, like I said this morning, if, if you don't have communion elements, 
And this is wonderful. We don't live uh, in any kind of lane where you have to have it all right. Jesus said the entire point of communion was to remember him. So you can use anything that causes you to remember him. I can tell you right now, some coffee and a donut would make me think so highly of him. I, I, I would think of him fully in that. I don't have a donut, so I'll let you enjoy that at home. Uh, and I have water here, but maybe he'll turn it into wine and I'll have some real communion uh, right here in front of you. But let's just pray. Father, first off, we thank you so, so much for what you've done. This grace that you've given us, this, this life that you've given us, Lord, we we are so thankful for it, and we are so uh, thankful for your life that you've given us, Jesus. So right now, we, we turn our attention towards you. We thank you for taking every sin, everything that we've confessed, not confessed. It was all cleansed. You cleansed us from all unrighteousness. And Jesus, we thank you for that. So we celebrate you right now together. Jesus, he took the bread, or the donut in your case, and he took it and he said, hey, this, this is a body that was broken for you. See, that was important because our bodies resembled brokenness. Uh, we were broken, right? The, the race of Adam was broken. But the body that was given Jesus, Hebrews says, uh, was perfect, right? Hebrews says, he goes, man, God never wanted all the sacrifices. He never wanted all that blood and sacrifices. And none of that pleased him. Of course not. He's a God of life. He said, no, and instead... It was a body that was prepared for Jesus that he was excited about. And so Jesus, he's breaking this bread in front of his best friends, and he's saying, guys, I'm, I'm joining you. But what they didn't understand was that he would become all sin. You uh, going to God and telling him, I'm so sorry for this thing. Yeah, he gets it. He, he was broken for that, okay? So the breaking of his body is what we celebrate this morning. We thank you, Lord, if you'll take the donut or the bread or or whole grain, whatever you got, banana. Uh, Lord, right now we take this and we remember you by it. Thank you, Jesus, for offering your body for us, going all the way to the cross, your Father being in you, reconciling the world to himself. Thank you for being broken for us. And we receive all of that, all that you've intended, all the healing, the new body, the new uh, the, the, the new things that were in your view as you sat on that cross, as you died on that cross, we take that together right now in Jesus' name, and we thank you for it. Go ahead and partake. All right. Now, he took the cup, and he knew what that cup represented. He knew, he knew all the pain and all the things he was about to endure, and he said this represented his blood. See, to have a new covenant or a new promise between man and God, there was always a shedding of blood. And so Jesus said in this case, well, I am the lamb. I am the sacrifice. And this is my blood of a covenant that I am making between the Father and me. It's not between uh, the Father and you. You'd mess it up. So no, he says, Jesus says, this is me. I'm going to do this. This is my blood. And in here, I'm ratifying a whole new covenant, a whole new promise that I will never break that I will be your priest forever, that me and the Father will never disagree, and everything that you lost in Adam, you're going to gain it ten times over in me. Do you see it? And that's exactly what this cup represented. So let's thank God for it. Thank you, Lord, for your bloodshed, for you giving your life to us. This represents your life that you've given us as new creations in you, and we celebrate together from our homes and everywhere where we are. In Jesus' name.
Well, here is my hope that even though this has been Easter a little bit different, I hope that you have time with your friends and your family online or text somebody, let somebody know how loved they are. They are so loved. And whatever thing that you've done, whatever thing that makes you feel like, well, I'm, I, I need to be made new again, just know that has to do with your thinking. And you can repent of that thinking. You can stop trying to see life through something you need to do and instead see it through Jesus who has done it all for you. Be blessed and we'll see you soon.